All right, welcome everyone. This is Nika and this is the F the Illness podcast and YouTube series. We're back with Michael and Sean and this is part two from our first episode. We're talking about men and the ideas of strength versus weakness when it comes to chronic illness. And so I'd like to pick up where we left off. We talked about you know, how you guys felt before your illnesses, you know, some things with relationships and all of that. And I'd like to get a little bit more into that. Um, how did you view the idea of strength and weakness before your chronic illnesses as men and during and then after? Wow. Sean, you take that. <laughs> You're both like, what? <laughs> You didn't warn us before that question. <laughs> well, because it's different for men than women, right? Like this is, you know, and maybe it's going to be even more different in Australia than the U.S. But I know, especially in the U.S. and you know, a lot of men I've been around, this idea of strength as a man is kind of a societal thing in different ways, and having to keep up a certain appearance and a certain you know, outward outlook for everybody else um, without as emotional or vulnerable as you want. But then now we're coming to a time that there are more vulnerability from men. Um, so times change, but then also you guys both have chronic illness that's changed you. Well, you know, so I'm curious. Okay, so I'll, I'll go first then, Michael. Um, so for me, um, as, a, as a male, obviously I'm not a physical specimen like my knowledge, you can probably tell. So my, my strength in terms of uh, what I think I should be able to do is obviously, um, you know, be the main owner in the household, um, be able to provide a house and, you know, uh, things of what you know, having a well-paid job is. Um, talking more candidly, Obviously, as, as you know, as a male in part of a relationship, you have that expectation that uh, you can make love and you need to. Um, prior to any of my treatment, that was definitely the case. Uh, and I had a great job, and I've still got a great job now. But in terms of the physicality of uh, my uh, build up to my transplant, uh, my wife and I we didn't have sex for four years because the drugs that I was on, uh, spirolactone and frizomide and uh, lactulose, you know, I had to take um, diuretics and laxatives every day to make sure that I wasn't holding any fluid in my body that could get uh, infected. Um, so, you know, and one of those drugs, spirolactone, is a gender reassignment drug. Oh, wow. So, in terms of the, the impact on me physically, um, that drug basically turns you into an infant, um, but it's a, a you know a pre-medicated drug that they make you take prior to transplant. So I, I was on that drug for two and a half years, um, and in that time, you, know, you lose all all confidence, all you know. To be perfectly honest, if a naked lady was in the street, I just think God, she must be cold because you just didn't have any urges for anything else because your libido was completely missed. So in terms of the impacts on that, and, and through a relationship as well, uh, not being able to do just that one primal thing that is part of every relationship uh, had a massive impact on us. Um, and even now, uh, you know, um, still haven't uh, had, had sex in four years. 
Um, but you know, it's which one of these things that you just try and uh, try and put to the back of your mind. But in terms of meeting new people and new relationships, it's at the forefront of your mind because you know, it's an expectation that uh, you're a healthy body and healthy mind, and I'm neither at the moment. So I'm trying to better both of them. Um, but you know, it, it has a long-lasting impact on what your strength was to what um, it is prior to transplant. And even now, you know, um, I'm still the same, pretty much mind-wise, pre-transplant, I am post. And body-wise, you know, really a one-foot scar in my, in my stomach, um, it's got some long-lasting impacts that I'm trying to fix. So it's, you know, it's, it zaps all of your strength, to be perfectly honest. And, uh, I always thought uh, I wasn't very strong mentally, but with all of the illnesses and the fact that I'm, I managed to get through them, uh, I think definitely the mind is a really strong thing in terms of being able to do that because I would not, if you'd have asked me beforehand, could I cope with sepsis, kidney failure, liver transplant, sarcoidosis, diverticulitis? I mean, no way. I have no way I could get through all of that. And I'm still here for some reason. You know, God has left me here for some reason. I'm just trying to figure out what that is. Wow. No, God, God definitely has you here for a reason. Yeah. You make a really good point of, and Michael, you touched on it earlier, of the mental aspect. Because mm -hmm. it is, you don't realize how much you can take. No, you don't. Until you have to. Yes, exactly right. And that's really true. Wow. Uh, Michael, what about you? Well, um, Sean kind of touched on it as from a male's perspective. Um, when you're going through the disease, you do lose your um, ability to, and, and you lose the feeling of wanting to um, have sex and be sexual, um, which for me was a big part. I mean, you know, being married and just being a man in, in general, you know, just being a, a sexual being and just being transparent, I enjoyed it. And when I got sick, I didn't have the desire. And it, and it went away and being the type of man that I am at some parts when I was sick, I thought more about, will I be able, will I get that back? Yes. Rather getting a kidney. That was, I mean, and I'm just, I'm just being transparent. You know, I, I wanted the transplant, but I wanted my, my sex drive back. And I would beat myself up and, and, and want to, and want to, and could, and, then I'm thinking, would I ever be? And I would go to my doctor's appointments and, you know, they, they would tell you how life or how they thought life would be after transplant. And I would wait for them and I would say, will I get this back? This, I mean, okay, I hear all of that, but when all this is said and done, will I be a, is what I thought, a man again? And, you know, they tell you, well, some do, some don't. And I'm like, well, how many do I mean you know what's what, what's my what's my chance um and they would prescribe you know um drugs to kind of help from when I was on dialysis and, and I think it probably gave me more other issues because they just wouldn't and maybe they would a little bit maybe they wouldn't and it was so frustrating you know Sean being a man and wanting to um and, and wanting to perform and that put me into depression, you know, yeah. and, and I didn't feel complete 
as a man. Um, so I was dealing with not being physically appearing as I wanted to be. And then the inside of me not working like a man is supposed to be. Um, so there was a point in time where I didn't feel like a true man, male. Um, and that, that really, really, really did a toll on me and just my self-esteem as a man. Um, and so even going through that, Sean, like you said, your mental was strong. Mine wasn't at that time because I felt like I was worthless. Like what, you know, I feel sick, I look sick and I can't perform, you know, and from a man's perspective, if, if, if you can't, things can be going wrong. But if that's working, you feel okay. <laughs> when, that, when that's gone, it's like, wait a minute, you know? Um, and I mean, I tried, I mean, I, I would ask my doctors for everything. And they would, would give and, and try and nothing. And I didn't know. And, I, and one of my biggest fears, and, and it seemed very like, why would you worry about that? You got a kidney. But going through it, that was part of me. I'm a man. You know, and and I enjoy I enjoy it. And when you can't even hear mentally, you want to and can't, and it 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 damaged me for a while. You know, it it took my manhood per se. Um, I didn't feel you know like a man, and you know, being married, you know, I worried. You know, and just being honest, you know, wow, well, she's a woman, and you know, what would she do? You know, will she go? Because you hear um, stories and read in, in the different groups and where, where wives or husbands leave because of that. And it is a, an important role and not just in marriages, in life. I mean, it is. It is what it is, you know. And you hear people leaving, you know, their spouse um, because they, they can't. And it, and it is important. And so I had all that to do with, is she going to leave? You know, and I can't, and, you know, even saying, well, if you do, I understand, because I can't, you know, I can't make myself, you can't make me, you know, I was beating myself up and was like, well, you know, what can I do? But now, all's well. <laughs> oh, glad to hear that. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's so, I'm so grateful to both of you for talking so candidly about this, and bringing this up because it's something from the female perspective we don't necessarily at least I can say like for me and some you know people I know that wouldn't be the first thing to come to my mind um you know with like men I meet or something like that when it comes to this or for me when I got sick that wasn't the first you know my sex drive and all of that isn't the first thing but it is a good point that for men or a lot of men, their sexuality, their sex drive, the ability to perform is tied to their identity as men. Mm -hmm. And that's something I don't know, which would be something interesting to, to you know, discuss with women in the future. If other women, if women feel that about women at all, but it is a really good point about men and your sex drive being tied to your confidence, being tied to, you know, who you are as your identity and how the chronic illness can take that from you and, you know, hopefully give it back later when you're feeling better. 
Um, so thank you both for bringing that up because there's going to be a lot of people who relate to that and may wonder, is this normal? Am I normal? Is this ever going to get better? You know, what's going on? Um, I'm curious, you know, with the mental, and then we talked about that physical, what about emotional? What did emotional strength look like for both of you before your illnesses? And what do you think of emotional strength looks like now? And maybe with or without or not in your relationships even, just in general. Tough to ask someone with depression that question. Um, I think for me, um, when you when you have an illness, or I've got many of them, um, you're completely thinking, um, is this ever going to get better? And emotionally, that sends you to a very dark place. When I was pre-transplant, I just walked aimlessly around, just you know, why is this happening to me? What am I doing to deserve this? Um, you know, why is God picking on me kind of thing? And, and that carries through in your personality, you know. If you can't handle yourself emotionally, it comes out as a, as a physical taint. Um, people pick up on the fact that you can't handle your emotions. You know, I used to go into work um, and I just burst into tears at my desk or I'd, I'd be in a meeting with my boss and telling him what was wrong and I'd just burst, I'd just burst into tears and I'd just think, what are you doing for me? You know, and, we, and that's, I think that's partly to do with the drugs as well you're taking, because they, they really mess with your mental state. Um, and, and, and at that point, uh, I wasn't taking any uh, medication for my depression at that point, because uh, one of the problems with uh, depression medication is it makes you put weight on. So I started some of these drugs, and then I was more depressed about putting the weight on than I was about actually the tablets making me happy. Um, so I was an absolute wreck um, pre-transplant. Post-transplant, um, I'm getting better, but I'm still emotionally tired and torn. And uh, yeah, it's difficult, especially now, now that I'm single, living in an apartment on my own. I've got no one to talk to about what's going on. You know, I have people at work and friends. And plus, I'm on the other side of the world. You know, all of my friends and family back in the UK. So it's, it's, it's a good place, you know, to be somewhere on your own and have things running through your mind emotionally that you can't figure out, you know. Um, and without that life partner, someone to talk to, uh, you kind of hold them all in. And, you know, I dare say, you know, um, have a burst into tear moments, you know, over the weekend and it won't make me feel any better, but you know it's all in there. Mm. You've got to try and get rid of it somehow. I'm just not too sure how. So, it, emotionally, for me, um, I'm really weak. Um, that's yeah, that's something that I'm trying to. Trying to you. Yeah, I um. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, I'm no. just going to say real quick that um, I I'm grateful that you shared that and that. You know, I know you chose to use the word, you know, feeling really weak at the moment now, but I'm curious, you know, how you define emotional strength and emotional weakness, because you're also really strong for going mm -hmm. through all of that, right? 
as I said to Michael, um, when you have a chronic illness, illness and just becomes the norm. So your life is, I just see myself as an ill person. So, you know, and then my life is normal. So I have symptoms, I have some diseases, I have diverticulitis and sarcoid and depression. And that's just my normal day. So externally to people, it might be confused from But internally, this is just what my life has become. You know, do I want to change it? Yes. Do I think it's ever going to be better? I hope so. But I can't guarantee it. It's a long journey just trying to trying to figure out why I'm like this, you know, you try and surround yourself with positivity and, uh, you know, it, it, it's difficult. Not, uh, my wife said to me one day, uh, you know, I was, I was depressed and she said, you know, she said, snap out of it. And I, I just sat there and I thought, you can't snap out of depression. It's something that, you know, you've had for years. Not, you, you can't just pick a button and be depressed. So, it's so, it's so difficult, and if there's nothing to it, no one So it's it's hard. Can you say that last part again? I wasn't able to hear you. Oh, sorry. Um, having depression, you, it's, not, it's not just a magic button where you can become depressed. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and if it was, I'm depressed a million times by now. Um, you know, I've, I've seen a psychologist. I've seen a you know psychiatrist, and they try and unra unravel everything that's causing it. But you know, it's an it's an ongoing transient thing. You know, any anything in day to day life can, can hit on hit on your depression. Really. So you, you you become highly emotive to a lot of things that normally you wouldn't. Be. And you know, when a single you know a guy at work said something to me last week, and I remember it like it was yesterday. It upset me for a week. You know, because you're in that high state all of the time, and there's, there's no stepping down from it. That's an interesting point. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. Michael, what about you? Well, before um, I got sick, I was, well, before just, just normal, no high emotions, no low emotions, just kind of easy going. Once I got sick, sick, I held everything in. I, I completely shut off from everyone. Um, and kept everything inside, which was not good, including my family. Um, you know, I, there went two, three weeks at a time. I didn't even want my kids to come into my room. Friends would come to my house to visit, to check on me. I wouldn't let them in. I would know they were out there ringing the door. I didn't, I completely shut off. Wouldn't talk. Um, I didn't tell people. No one knew probably about a year and a half that I was sick with kidney disease. I just shut off from everyone. Um, and that made me more depressed because I would say to myself, well, no one cares. Well, no one knew. <laughs> so I brought it on myself and I would say, well, no one cares. And so I don't care. But I didn't tell anyone. Um, being embarrassed, um, just being honest that I was sick. And, you know, none of us asked for it. But that was how I was feeling. Um, and that's how I was up until um, now post-transplant. I worry so much um, about everything, which makes me moody. Um, you kind of spoke about it, Sean, every little pain. Um, I think maybe two, three weeks ago, right before my lab, Nick, I reached out to you. I'm having this pain in my stomach. Oh gosh, and you were like, yes, four days until labs. I mean, every little thing, I constantly worry and not just about myself now. Um, and people think, you know, you get transplanted, everything's okay. Well, I'm still doing labs every month too, Sean. And 
I'm okay until about the last week until and every little thing I'm thinking, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Um, I go in, I get my blood drawn and I'm a nervous wreck emotionally until I get my labs back every single time. And every little, especially with my kids now, I worry so much about things. And that may cause me to um, snap at them a little bit more than I usually did because I care. And I think everything is going to end up like I was. I don't want this to happen to you. Or, and I have, I have no control over it. And I know I don't. But I feel like it as a dad, I do. And so now, um, I would say one of my weaknesses and not a strength is, is that I constantly worry. And I tell myself, it's going to get better. Don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. You have no control. You're doing what you're supposed to do. It's going to be fine. But I constantly worry. And you both know if you're constantly worrying about something, those emotions are going to come out and they're not going to be positive. You know, you're going to be mean. You're going to be, you know, you're anxious all the time and, and, and you're worrying, you know, what is this pain? Sean, you mentioned it. You know, what is that? What is this? I mean, little thing. And normally it's not anything. Um, and you can hear it from people. Nika, you told me it's probably nothing. And I'm like, oh my gosh. No, it is something, Nika. You're not feeling, you know, and I'm driving myself crazy until that, until I got the labs and you were like, is it, everything's okay now. But until then, I was a wreck, you know, and, you know, I don't want to just always go to my wife, hey, this is wrong. And she'll tell me, well, everything's fine. It'll be fine. But I don't want to hear that because I'm not feeling fine, yeah. you, you know? Um, and so before, I never thought that way. You know, if I had a pain or something, that probably what got me in, in trouble because I waited so long. It was, oh, I'm a man, it's fine. Now it's totally opposite. I overworry, which is, I think is a big weakness. And I, I really, at this point, don't know what to do about it. Um, moody at times. I mean, I don't know. Is it some of the medicines, the prednisone or whatever? Sometimes I'm in a great mood and sometimes I'm just in a bad mood for no reason. You know? no reason at, at, at all and, and I wasn't like that before so I don't know if it's a mix of the medicines and the worriness and the anxiousness or one individually or just all balled up in one but that's a weakness Nika after mm -hmm. um, transplant for me is that I just I don't feel ever feel completely comfortable in, in a situation. I'm always worrying, always stressing, always anxious, and I, I don't like it. Wow. And I mean, you're one year post now, Michael? About a year and a half. May will be two years. So about right at the middle. About yeah. Year and a half. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that, and that sticks with you for a while. And I won't say it ever necessarily goes away because, you know, everybody has in the back of their mind, we all know our transplants aren't permanent necessarily right. Right? like we want them to last as long as they can and i think that's what's kind of in the back of the line i will say and i hope this for both of you that with time it's not as much in the forefront of your mind where you can put it aside a little bit which gives you a little bit of ease in that regard you still have everything else to deal with and worry about and, you know all the meds and the moodiness from the meds but no i get that that makes that makes perfect sense um now both of you being post-transplant and sean you with your liver and michael you with your kidney 
do you think that you would approach any new chronic illness or anything else any differently now that you know you've gone through all of this you know what it's like sean i know you have multiple you know i you know, I'm there with you i don't anymore <laughs> you have what i don't want any more i've got enough to be going home with I know, I, I know the feeling, trust me. I feel like it's a new diagnosis every year. But I'm just like, all right, let's just add another specialist to the list. Fine, let's just go with it at this point. Um, but the one silver lining in, you know, in my crazy world, at least, is that like, I feel like once you've been through it once, the subsequent things aren't as much of a blow. Do you guys feel the same way? Do you feel that you're more equipped medically dealing with doctors with different things compared to the first time and that you're in a place to now recover and get stronger or do you see those things holding you back and any of that tied into you know interpersonal relationships or you know just the life in general yeah, I think that, you know, um, when you've had a transplant of any, of any sort, you know, it still has the ability to have a knock-on effect and create another illness. You know, just because I've had a liver transplant doesn't make, doesn't make me a healthy person. Um, and, you know, and just as you said, you know, I hope this will last for a long time. Um, I spoke to my liver surgeon and I said, look, I want to get a tattoo um, around where my scar is. And they said, well, don't get it over the scar. Okay, so we need another liver and it's kind of that thing where you think oh god this is could be have to go through all of this again just you know and it was the most painful part of you know getting open and then not being able to walk being for you know days on end not going to the toilet for five days you part of the transplant you think god it's not do that again but you know you're very wary about and just, just like Michael said any little twinge um, I'm more conscious, so I'll go to the doctor. Previously, I wouldn't. If any new illness, if any new illness uh, I'll be at the doctor basically straight away. Previously, I'd just say, fine, I'll leave it. Uh, and, and because of my autoimmune condition at the moment as well, and because of the habits that I'm on, uh, if I get a cold or anything like that, uh, a cold for me is like a flu to a normal flu. So I, I have to go to the ER. If you, you know, I have a note from my doctor that if anyone is at work, that I have, I have the ability to work from home because I'm not supposed to be very sick people. I travel to work on the train sometimes. You go to the cinema, you go to a shopping centre. People are talking, filtering, and you know, I'm really conscious that anyone's sneezing at me because I can't get sick anymore if it has a massive impact on me. Uh, I'm very conscious of any new illnesses and, and the one that I've got. Uh, I know that you know, like lupus for my sarcoidosis is chronic, uh, diverticulitis is chronic, uh, they're not going to get any better. Uh, so it's just about management uh, for me, and it's supposed to be your dietary and, uh, and stress, to be perfectly honest. And a lot of the illnesses that I do have, you know, sarcoid and diverticulitis, they're brought on by stress. And I don't mm -hmm. Anyone says, how, how can you not be stressed in this situation? You know, it's that's just a constant thing in my life. If I'm stressed every minute of every day, thinking about and overthinking, like Michael said, about things that will probably never eventuate. But uh, you just think, well, it might happen. 
uh, and it, it just plays on your mind constantly. You know? um, and, and in terms of moving forward, you try and plan your life ahead, but then you try and plan your life uh, as an excuse to people. So if I meet somebody, you've got to start with, hey, I'm Sean, I've got a liver transplant, I've got a sarcoid, I've got depression, before you even go out for a drink. Because if you don't, then they find out later that you've got all this need to tell them, and you're a worse person anyway. So having to qualify yourself as a person before you meet people to allay expectations is tough. You know, moving, moving forward, that's what you have to do. You know? uh, it, it's hard. You know? You've got to tell people up front that you know, you, you, I'm grumpy like Michael. You know, I do it all the time. Uh, you've got to explain that to people, otherwise they'll just think you're a grumpy idiot. You know? it, it's, it's hard. Um, and and gosh, you've got to find someone that will put up with it as well. You know? Michael's married. You know, his wife's been there. She's been for the pain. So would mine, you, you know, but um, we, we really stretch that to be part of when, you, when you're so sick and, and it's difficult to get through. But um, yeah, I really don't want any new illnesses. We all stick with the ones that I've got now. I hope you don't have any new illnesses either. Yeah. And your liver transplant lasts you a very long time. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. So, um. Michael, what about you? Honestly, um, and I think about it often, I don't think that I'm ready. If, if I got another diagnosis right now, I really don't, don't think I would be able to handle it right now. Um, just being honest. And, and I think about it all the time. Like if, you know, any other diagnosis came that was, that was as serious as this, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm ready to handle it, you know, mentally yet. Um, because I still worry about this and, I would always tell myself, you know, I, I would, I wouldn't do it again. It's worth it now, but to having to go through it again today, I don't think I'm ready. And and that's being honest. I know it may sound weak, but I'm being honest. Um, I I don't think I could go through it through it again because it was so emotional, um, and it 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 changed me and took part of me away that I may not ever get back. Um, I'm very thankful, very thankful. So don't don't take that the wrong way. But if another diagnosis came, I, I'm not sure. Which goes back to why I'm, I try my best to be as healthy and educate myself on on everything as possible. Like you, Sean, being around people, you know, that are sick. I don't, you know, um, my wife and I have a pediatric dental practice, and you're in kids' mouths and you know, we we have in our paperwork, parents, if your kids are sick, don't bring them because we have to be in there. Well, they bring them anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, if they're out of school, oh, that's the perfect time to go to your dental appointment. You're home sick, go cough in their face. So since my transplant, I may have been back to, to our practice three times because it's not worth it. Yeah. You know, because they do bring their kids when they're, when, when they're sick and, and they're touching. And of course, we can clean and disinfect that place from top to bottom, but it only takes a second. And I'm just not comfortable. Mm -hmm. And at first, right after, because being out of work for so long on dialysis, I said, I can't wait if I get my tram ready to go back. And then once you get all the information about your immune system is going to be low because of the medicines and 
you know, like you said, Sean, if you get a cold, it's going to last a lot longer than a normal person. It freaked me out. And it's, it's sad. I'm scared to go into my own building, my, my own, my own practice. So, um, I said the new year I would try, but that's just where I am now, you know, and, it, and, and it's, it's, people don't see that. They're like, well, you're not back at work yet. No, because if I'm not mentally ready, I can't. It's, it's, it's not right for, for the patients or, or anyone there, you know, at the office. I can't um, because I'm thinking about me. You know, you walk in and you hear kids, even my own kids, as soon as they're coughing and stuff, I'm like, no, don't come <laughs> around. You know, don't. Nope. You know, nope. Get out. Go. You know, um, I coach my son's football team and my oldest and they're 10. And some of them can't even buckle their own, you know, chin straps. So they'll cough. <laughs> Coach, can you help me with this? Sorry, buddy. <laughs> yeah, go call your mama. And and I told the parents I had to have a meeting, you know, and they're gathering around a football coach telling, listen, if you don't see me helping your kid up close and personal if they're sick, it's not because I don't like your kid, you know. Or So if he doesn't play, it's not because I don't like him. It's because he's not good but I can't be around and I had to explain my situation. They're like, wow, we didn't know. We couldn't tell, mm-hmm. you know, but people can't see like Sean, you, you can't look at you from here and see that you were, you're dealing with all of that. Nika, I told you, you know, how I saw it. I was like, I don't believe it, you know, and people don't see that. Um, and so for me mentally, I'm just, I'm not ready. I'm not there. Um, yeah, and, and I've just got comfortable to tell people, you know, no. I mean, even right after, I remember um, maybe eight months post-transplant, I went home um, to Georgia where my mom lives to visit my mom, and I went to church with her, and this lady came up and, and gave me a hug. And after, my mom was like, well, yeah, she's been kind of sick, and I snapped. <laughs> You know, at my mom's like, are you kidding me? You need to call and find out what does she got? You know, how long has she been sick? And I'm, and I'm, my mom said, well, I said, well, you give me a number. I'm going over. And that's how I was. And then I look back and I'm like, but people don't get it, you know? And, and, and I know people deal with it differently, but that's my biggest, biggest fear is getting sick again, any diagnosis. So I guess in that ass point, ass point, at, you know, I can't even talk now. <laughs> from from that point of view, I'm I'm that's my weakness. Like now, post transplant is I'm I'm fearful, and so a new diagnosis. If I if I was diagnosed with something, um, I don't know how I would handle it. It wouldn't be as strong as Sean said. You know, I would just work through it, and you know, I've been through this before. I can handle everything. I mean, I can handle it again. I know what to expect. Um. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I get that. And trust me, that thing with people being sick doesn't really go away. Like my clients know not to come if they're sick. And if they do, I won't train them. They go home. Right. I'm 12 right. and a half years post transplant. I'm just not going to put myself in that situation. Right. And you got, you know, there's no reason for you to either. I am happy to hear that you both go to the doctor more now for anything, because that is a, universal male trait apparently to not want to go for to the doctor ever no matter what <laughs> right right you're right absolutely right that that changes because it's so important 
Um, you guys have been amazing and have really brought a lot of things to light. If real quick, if there was just one thing you could say to other men going through any of this really quickly, what would it be? Uh, don't suffer in silence. You know, we have a big thing over here, um, a, a slogan for, are you okay? Which is uh, based around men's mental health and the fact that men are normally quite quiet and not forthcoming in talking about depression and that kind of thing. So, um, and having lost five or six friends to, to suicide, you know, don't suffer alone. So, you know, this, this journey can be quite depressing, but, you know, to get some help, um, don't be shy um, and don't suffer on your own. Yeah. Um, I would say, men, drop your ego, go to the doctor, go get checked out. Um, it's more manly to go and know your health status, no matter what, than not to, and end up like me. And I found out in with 48 hours, I would have been dead if I hadn't gone. So just drop your ego and go get checked out. No matter what it is, you may think it's, they may think it's small. If you don't feel right, go get checked out. No matter what, that's what I would say. Thank you both so much. It's been so great to hear both of your stories. And I know this will be really helpful to other men out there and women listening that, you know, it may be a man in their life going through this. So I'm so grateful to you both. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you soon. Thanks. See you, Michael. See you, Nika. Bye. Bye, Sean. Bye, Nika.